Welcome to the BIOS podcast by Elix Ventures. BIOS is a community of early stage healthcare and life sciences founders and investors. BIOS curates content, hosts events, crafts resources, and creates a community to facilitate collaboration. BIOS unites like-minded members of the startup universe and is anchored by Alix Ventures, a San Francisco-based venture fund that invests in early-stage healthcare and life sciences companies. To learn more about us, visit bios.community or alix.vc. Adam, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast this morning. Thanks for taking the time to, to join us and share your, your wonderful wisdom with our, our BIOS audience today. Um, can you give us a little bit of a background yourself and uh, who you are and what you do? Yeah, likewise, uh, Chaz. Really excited to be here and, and have the conversation with you um, and, and happy to walk through um, how I got into uh, to, to venture. Um, yeah, I, I uh, going back to my undergrad days, uh, graduated from Cornell with a degree in biomechanical and biomedical engineering, um, but uh, kind of coming towards graduation, realized I didn't really want to be an engineer. Um, and, uh, you know, eventually went on and did a master's in, in economics. And I, I think at that time was fortunate enough to realize, um, you know, that wasn't for me either, but I actually did like the healthcare stuff that I'd been working on, but maybe not in that original context as an engineer. Um, and was fortunate enough to um, start connecting with some alumni on various roles uh, that I could get into post-grads, uh, everything from finance um, to working at startups. And, uh, you know, I think the notion of working at a startup was something that really appealed to me, being part of something uh, and, and building it from the ground up. Uh, and as an early employee and, and recent grad, uh, maybe getting more exposure and responsibility than I would get going to a larger company was something that that also really appealed to me. And so I, I went uh, to work at a telemedicine startup uh, as a very early employee filling a whole host of roles. And one of those was uh, helping to raise capital and, and had the opportunity to present to a number of investors as, as we raised multiple rounds of financing there. And that was really my first exposure to venture capital and, and thought it was really exciting getting to learn about new companies and, and new technologies as your job. You know, that was something that I, I just thought was, uh, was really uh, kind of an awesome way to, to um, spend your career. Um, and then, you know, trying to help them achieve their vision. And I, I decided that I really wanted to try to get to that side of the table. And I, you know, I decided that the best rep for me to get there was, was through business school. I went and did an MBA at the University of Chicago um, and was fortunate to, to work with a, a couple of firms uh, as an intern while I was there. Um, graduated without a full-time role, uh, while a lot of my friends and classmates had locked up consulting or banking roles, um, uh, and it was a little bit nerve-wracking, uh, but I kept at it and, and had the good fortune to be introduced to the B Capital team through a friend uh, while they were uh, building the firm, getting it off the ground, and looking for someone to come in and focus on healthcare, and uh, lucky enough, that was, uh, that was me. So what gravitated you towards kind of B Capital Lab? Can you talk about kind of the, the firm and, um, and what y'all do there? Yeah, so maybe the, the best place to start is to talk a little bit about the, the, the firm itself. Um, B Capital is a firm that was formed in partnership with uh, the Boston Consulting Group as one of our anchor LPs. And uh, that strategic partnership uh, has a, a range of applications from developing investment theses together to diligence 
uh, to supporting our portfolio companies in a number of ways. Um, you know, each one of our companies has a, an advisor from, from BCG. We can be supportive on business development, um, uh, thought partnership and collaboration and strategic uh, initiatives. Uh, and then we've even, you know, done some dedicated project work uh, with BCG and some of our portfolio companies. Uh, and so that ability to add a tremendous amount of value post-investment was something that really appealed to me and you know, I thought could set the firm apart. And uh, that got me really excited about joining B Capital um, back in 2015. And I think we've seen a lot of that play out and uh, have, have had the good fortune of continuing that relationship with BCG. That's, that's fantastic. Um, and amongst the many fun and exciting things you'll get to do at B Capital, healthcare being a, a big part of that mix. Um, how did y'all find your way towards healthcare? What are some of the uh, things that drew you to the landscape? Yeah, so as, as a firm, uh, we're, we're very much um, B2B focused uh, and, and you know, with, with that B2B to C as well. Uh, and so as we thought about industries um, where uh, we could invest, where we felt like technology had a, a major role to play in transforming those industries, healthcare was obviously uh, one of those. Uh, healthcare is you know, fairly broadly defined uh, and includes you know, sectors that are, are, are maybe less alike than, than a lot of people can uh, really think about, like pharma, um, payer, provider, and, and med tech, and, and all of that rolls up into healthcare. Um, but there's an enormous opportunity across those sectors uh, to, to change the way uh, those businesses uh, operate and, and bring new therapies and treatments to market in the way that they deliver care. Uh, and so uh, we got excited about the opportunity to, to find the next wave of, of companies uh, doing that. Uh, and so that's one of the sectors that we focus on alongside uh, uh, sectors like fintech, insurance, um, industrials, transportation, um, and, and enterprise software. Adam, uh, a lot of our audience here is early stage folks, be it founders or VCs. Can you help connect the dots for us? What does it mean to you to be a, a good later stage investor? Yeah, um, you know, one of my observations is that, um, you know, the, the, the signals that you're evaluating at the different stages are dramatically different. So um, at the earliest stages, many of those signals might be a little bit more subjective, like evaluating the team and founder market fit versus later stage where many of those signals are more objective, uh, like product usage and growth trajectory. And to me, that makes earlier stage investing significantly harder. And I have a tremendous amount of respect and, and admiration for all the investors who do it so well. Um, you know, one of the things that I think the best investors do at our stage is understanding markets and, and the potential uh, opportunities in those markets um, and, and, and what, um, you know, what could be and, and if, if a company is, is truly successful and what that might mean. Um, for exit opportunities. So, you know, I think we've seen valuations rise across stages and that generally, um, that, that trend is, is um, very different from what I'm talking about, which is having a high conviction in a market and a company, um, uh, which can give you confidence to pay a, a higher price for deals. And it gets back to kind of being, being able to evaluate uh, the market and, and um, you know, seeing what, uh, what could be if a company is really successful. Uh, and so I think some of the best uh, companies or, or firms investing at our stage are, are really good at that in addition to you know, evaluating 
maybe some of those uh, more objective measures that I mentioned, like uh, like product usage and, and growth, and and the, the signals that, that we get at the Series B and C stages. Um, and then I think you know figuring out what it is that's important to you uh, as an investor above all of those objective measures and and what you believe um, uh, will will make a, a successful company and and uh, understanding um, you know where you where you want to invest and, and what you're comfortable investing in um, is is a really important uh, element of of being successful. We have multiple ways to find uh, new companies uh, that could be potential investment opportunities. Uh, I, I think a, a lot of uh, opportunities could be come through us uh, or come to us opportunistically uh, from other investors who who know uh, the, the stage we invest in uh, and the type of company that we're uh, we're typically looking uh, to back. Um, but a, a lot of our work uh, actually is done through more. Uh, thesis generation and identifying companies that we really uh, feel like uh, feel like could be successful in in solving the problems identified by those theses. Uh, and you know, as I mentioned, one of those uh, or the, the thesis generation is something that we're able to work closely on uh, with BCG and identify problems where uh, customers are are looking uh, for for solutions. Uh, and so uh, that that thesis generation and identifying the landscape and finding ways to get in front of those companies, which might involve uh, anything from, from cold outreach to, uh, to to leveraging our network of in investor friends to, to get in front of great companies. You know, I think uh, in, in this market, any way that you can get in front of great companies uh, is is you know, something that you should be kind of putting on your uh, radar for, for expanding your, uh, your, your way to source deals. And we, we kind of talk about you source a deal, Adam, you're kind of getting excited and interested. Um, can you give us a little bit of a purview into what does kind of due diligence look like? I know maybe it's not as quite of a standardized question, but just what does due diligence look like kind of at the stage you're investing in? Kind of what are your expectations for a company? And how do you maybe most importantly see um, kind of maturity of vision? Where are they kind of in that ebb and flow cycle? Yeah. We are mostly investing into companies at this Series B and Series C stages, and that usually means the product has been commercialized, the team has faced some significant challenges and moved past them in one way or another. You've got usage data, evidence of you know whether or not the product is delivering for customers, uh, and a whole bunch of other signal um, that you might not get at earlier stages. And so all of those things are uh, elements that, that we're going to look at and, and dive deeper on. Uh, and as I said, there are a lot of kind of objective facts that, and signals that you can look at at the, those stages. And so I think we benefit from, from uh, investing a little bit later. You know, and then for me, um, you know, I'm a firm believer that the go-to-market strategy is a really good topic to diligence thoroughly because it's related to so many elements of what we believe uh, are, are critical factors uh, to a company's success. So it shows that the founders really know this market and have figured out the right motion to accelerate growth. Um, it can be part of building defensibility and improving the product. I also think the technology go-to-market strategy and business model are tightly interwoven uh, when done well. So understanding how well aligned those elements are is important to, to me and, and to us at B Capital. You know, that does the technology enable a go-to-market strategy and business model that aren't available to other market participants? Uh, you know, I, I think there's a whole host uh, of questions that you can answer by diligencing the go-to-market strategy thoroughly. And then, you know, if there are one or two things that will unlock growth for the business, 
how can you unlock those? And are we as B Capital well positioned to help uh, a company do that? And you know, if we if we can answer all of those questions compellingly, uh, very often um, you know we're we're moving towards an investment. So an example of the go-to-market strategy um, and, and why we think it's so important is our investment in uh, Atomwise, uh, which does AI-based um, drug discovery for small molecule therapies. And uh, you know, certainly Atomwise is not the only company pursuing this uh, as, as a concept. Uh, there, there are a number of venture-backed companies out there. But you know, what got us excited was uh, how all of these components that go into building a go-to-market strategy are interwoven. So um, the, the, the technology plays an enormous role here in, in the company's ability to execute on their strategy and really affects the, the business model that they're able to take on as well. And so you know, a, good, a good example of that is the AIMS program uh, that the company uh, runs where uh, researchers submit uh, targets that they are working on uh, and Atomwise uh, will we'll select projects uh, to collaborate on uh, and then actually make a prediction on compounds that will be successful in drugging uh, those targets. Uh, and then we'll actually synthesize and ship uh, the, the leading candidates uh, uh, to, uh, to researchers for them to actually test in their assays. And uh, this has uh, enormous applications or implications for the business. One, one question I always kind of like to ask to, to kind of piggyback off that with investors, connect the dots of the company with your portfolio. What's kind of the one common thread um, that you'd say would, would wrap a bow around them all as a unit? Yeah, so, so healthcare as an umbrella is, is obviously very broad, um, you know, payer, provider, pharma, med tech, um, digital health supporting uh, the, those sectors. You know, if, if, there's, if there's a thread that's connecting those sectors to us, it is leveraging technology to uh, deliver better care to patients uh, at a lower cost. And that could be through bringing new therapies to market. It could be in making care delivery more efficient. Uh, there, there's a number of ways to accomplish that, uh, but that is the common thread between uh, our investments on, on the healthcare side and, um, uh, and, and kind of ties them all together. And, and when you talk about kind of your process and kind of how you like to work with companies, um, one of the things we, we see frequently do at BCAP is take board seats. Some of our audience kind of being more at the earlier stage, just kind of Sometimes here and there happens. Um, can you talk about kind of what being a, a good board member looks like and what that is to you? Yeah, so B Capital does take um, board seats in, in a, a number of investments, but but not always. And I think it's about enabling uh, the the founders and the company to achieve the vision that you backed and and got you excited about making the investment in the business. Uh, and that can take uh, a number of different forms. I think, uh, you know, a number of different personalities can be successful there, you know, whether, um, you know, you're, you're vocal in the room or not. Uh, it's finding a way to help the founders execute on that vision and uh, really, you know, leveraging the assets that you have at your disposal to do that. So um, they'll, they'll be different for B Capital than they will be for a number of our co-investors. But, um, you know, bringing something to the table to help with that vision is, is what I think makes a, a good board member. Um, and it can take a number of different forms. Adam, um, how does your firm help companies and founders post-investment? Kind of what are some of your, your big value adds and kind of why should folks work with B Capital? You know, there's a, a lot of reasons why we think um, we're a valuable investment partner for 
uh, early stage companies to, to work with. Um, you know, BCG and our relationship there is, is one angle. Um, we, we work closely uh, with uh, each one of our portfolio companies uh, to, to help leverage that network uh, as much as possible. So each one of our companies has what we call a tech startup advisor, which is a dedicated BCG senior advisor to serve as a mentor to founders to help navigate the BCG network. Uh, and to be a sounding board for them in a lot of cases. We help on you know, business development by uh, making introductions to customers where our portfolio companies are solving a known problem. We will work on you know, thought partnership and collaboration um, with, uh, with BCG and have, have uh, run workshops for them on, uh, on topics like uh, pricing. Um, and we do dedicated project work in some cases with, uh, with BCG and our portfolio companies uh, to help solve major strategic initiatives. Uh, and so uh, I think there's a lot of ways to, to leverage that BCG network uh, and, and the relationship that we have there. Uh, and then we also have a, a platform team that we're in the process of building out um, that can help with all of those things, um, but also uh, help with some of the other major challenges that, that kind of are, fall on the, the CEO and founder's plate on a day-to-day -day basis. And so, you know, really giving uh, founders back the time to build the business and, and help with things um, that, uh, that, that um, you know, can, can help accelerate the growth of the business, um, but might otherwise be, um, you know, take, take longer or be a distraction to founders is something um, that we think we can really support. That's terrific. And when you talk about kind of supporting Adam, um, as a Series B and Beyond investor, I, I think most of us had the expectation that you're kind of taking companies the remainder of the d distance to a, a finish line, if you will. Can you talk us through kind of um, that process from investment to outcome? How are you helping navigate companies through that process? You know, I think what we're seeing is that uh, companies are staying private for longer, uh, right? And so what that means is that um, I, I don't think Series B and Series C investments are necessarily towards the end of a company's life cycle before there's a liquidation event. And so there's still a lot of work left to do and you could consider series B and series C uh, investing early stage now, given how many rounds of financing a lot of companies uh, will raise. But we do wanna be there to support uh, companies along that journey as best we can. And so there are a number of ways that we can do that. Certainly things like uh, helping with commercial development is, is a way to accelerate growth in a business. Um, but in terms of preparing companies for the next stages, you know, we, we make investments and then we, we do have reserve capital to continue supporting companies financially uh, in, in later rounds and, and very often uh, with, with large investments uh, leading subsequent rounds uh, in companies like we've done with uh, Evidation Health and Atomwise. Um, but it also goes deeper than that. Um, so we have built out uh, a team that can help uh, with fundraising support uh, with financing options outside of equity investments, um, with uh, recruiting the right next uh, set of uh, team members to, to help you get to that next stage, uh, and then helping you think through what that team should look like. You know, as you're uh, moving towards an IPO, for example, what should your internal finance team look like, and and what should you be doing, and who should you have on board to help uh, you prepare for that process? Are all things that we're uh, able to do for companies. And so while we don't think that necessarily there's going to be a lot of exits post uh, the Series C or immediately post the Series C. We want to set companies up for success uh, when they get there. 
and uh, that, that could be success in, uh, in a number of uh, different forums, but uh, we think we're well positioned to do that. That really gives some fantastic context, Adam, kind of behind expectations and outlook and how you all work with companies. Thanks for that. Um, to transition gears for a second, I'd like to hand over to my colleague, Jess, here and kind of dive into some of the healthcare landscape and where you see things evolving here. Yeah, thanks, Jazz, and thanks, Adam, for all of your really fantastic insights about firm philosophy and your personal investment philosophy. It's been really interesting to hear. And like Chaz said, given your experience in healthcare and telehealth, and especially in terms of the rise of opportunities in this space driven by COVID, we'd be remiss if we didn't take the time to discuss them here. And in particular, we're seeing a lot of people talk about primary care amongst other areas of medicine being transformed by this push towards telehealth. What are your thoughts about this space and how do you evaluate a new potential telehealth application, especially given the crowdedness of this particular market? Yeah, so I agree that um, COVID has pushed us into an environment where we have the opportunity to transform the way that healthcare is delivered. To me, that means providing care in the most appropriate setting for every patient, and I think telehealth has a big role to play in that. In my view, what we're seeing is behavior change driven by a lack of access and fear of seeing your doctor in person. Um, so the patient's willingness to adopt telemedicine has increased dramatically in the last five months, and that's great. But I think it means that if we don't set up the right paradigm, it won't be sustainable uh, once we move into whatever the post-COVID world looks like. Um, but in the current environment, um, you know, I, I think there are a lot of opportunities uh, to do that. Um, but it's not, uh, as, as the current paradigm is set up, it's not sustainable uh, for providers to continue providing uh, an enormous volume of care through telemedicine. So the economics uh, don't work, and we should expect them to push patients to re-enter the system in person when it's safe to do that. So, for example, reimbursement is lower, and you could be forgoing all the revenue from the diagnostic tests that could be ordered as a follow-up when you do a visit remotely. Uh, it also means that in a lot of cases, uh, providers will have less diagnostic information available to them to make decisions. And so how do you remedy that? If we can create a system where providers have more diagnostic information available to them and the economics work, then I think we can transform the way care is delivered. So more complete medical records, um, uh, real-world evidence integrated into care decisions that fill the gaps between visits. Um, an operating system for bringing all this information to bear for providers uh, and to help automate a lot of the interactions and care processes. You know, we have an investment in a company called BrightMD that can complete primary care visits with two minutes of provider time down from an average of about 20. Uh, this is the kind of efficiency that I think will make the economics of telemedicine work. Um, then the brick and mortar locations become about treating the sickest patients um, where the opportunity cost of treating low acuity patients is, is high. And so I think you, if you can do some of those things, you can uh, really make sure that the adoption of telemedicine that we've seen so far can be sustained. Yeah, I want to dig a little deeper into what the right paradigm looks like. What do you, does the healthcare life sciences landscape look in the long term and how do companies thrive in the post-COVID environment? Well, I think those are very different. Um, those, are, those are very different questions between healthcare and, and life sciences. And so um, maybe, maybe starting with healthcare um, and, and then talking about life sciences, I, I would say 
it really should be about figuring out how we deliver care in the right setting. And so some of that may be done asynchronously via text. Some of it might be, uh, you know, video visits um, or, or telephonic communication. And some of it will definitely have to be done in person. Um, and, and you'll have to go in uh, for uh, an examination or diagnostic testing. I think the, the uh, providers that are going to be the most successful are the ones that uh, can adopt the technology necessary to, uh, to, to accomplish those things. And so I think by doing that, you, you really actually are making a move more towards value-based care. Uh, you allow yourself to probably treat larger patient panels um, with the same amount of provider time, uh, and you give yourself the opportunity to make the economics work once in-person visits are, are really possible again. And so you know, I, I think moving uh, more towards uh, a, a paradigm of uh, leveraging technology for efficiency um, can, uh, will, will help providers succeed. I think another thing that we're seeing, especially in terms of COVID, is the importance of behavioral health and mental wellness, particularly in terms of feelings of isolation that people have been going through in, in the midst of the pandemic. Can you talk about companies that you've been seeing in this space and how you thought about evaluating the business aspect of these particular platforms tackling this challenge? This is a problem that has been recognized for a while. So the, the Affordable Care Act, one of the components was designed to address this by requiring mental health services to be a covered benefit for most uh, patients. Uh, you know, the, the shortage of behavioral health clinicians is, is well documented. What we're seeing with COVID though, uh, as with many areas, is this problem is being exacerbated uh, with an increased prevalence in things like depression, anxiety, and loneliness. And when you have a capacity problem like the one we're facing with behavioral health or primary care for that matter, it's really difficult to just recruit your way out of that problem. And there's a relatively inelastic supply of clinicians. So this is where technology is really well suited to solve the problem. And in full disclosure, we're investors in a company called Silver Cloud Health that addresses a lot of these behavioral health conditions and has been quick to adapt some of the programs to address COVID specific challenges. But I think the company's best position to succeed here will be the ones that increase the capacity of the system by giving providers the leverage to increase panel sizes. And we've also seen an increased focus on uh, generating real world evidence of the clinical benefit from these programs. One of the things that, that COVID has done is, is increase the willingness to pay for care delivered through new formats, but payers you want to see evidence of clinical benefit. They have a process and they understand in most cases how to reimburse for pharmacological therapies so you're probably gonna have more success and face less friction if you can demonstrate similar types of evidence uh, that they're used to seeing. And so those are the companies that I think are gonna be successful here. Mm -hmm. We wanna piggyback off the idea of leveraging technology to address these problems that we're seeing in COVID and those that are being exacerbated by the pandemic. And digital health is one of those areas where we've been seeing a lot of these tech-enabled solutions for precision medicine approaches and such. What do you think is on the cutting edge of innovation in this space from your vantage point? So I, I might take this answer, uh, or I might you know, take my answer to this question in a slightly different direction, which is you know, what is it gonna take um, to cut a material portion of the cost out of the healthcare system? So you're talking 30% plus. You know, some people are, are looking at this problem as one where we should just hope to hold the cost of care constant and that represents a, a win state. 
But what gets uh, me excited is technology that I think can accomplish those 30% cost savings. And that means bringing therapies to market faster, cheaper, and in a more personalized way. It means low-cost diagnostics and early detection. It means automated administrative tasks away and significant parts of the care process, um, like data collection, integrating, and distilling um, growing amounts of data into digestible format for providers. Um, it means software as, as therapies. You know, I don't think we can hit those levels of savings without using software to address more of the process in healthcare. Um, the marginal cost of using software to gather one more, one more medical record or monitor one more patient remotely or make a diagnosis prediction is effectively zero, and that's where we'll get that leverage. If you give providers the tools they need to succeed in value-based care, then I think we can see that transition happen uh, faster. Um, so imagine if a, a PCT could double their panel size and, and provide better care at the same time. The technologies that will allow us to do that, I think, are on the cutting edge and are kind of what get me excited. You all just closed your most recent fund not too long ago. Kind of talk to me about kind of what's on the horizon. We were fortunate to uh, close our second fund uh, in the, the midst of the, the global pandemic. And so are, are well positioned to, to go after the areas where we're focused on. And so you know, we're, we are excited about some of the themes that I mentioned in terms of um, you know, finding ways to automate more of the care process and deliver better care at lower costs, you know, opportunities to bring new therapies to market uh, in, in a faster and more personalized way, um, you know, making the transition towards value-based care and enabling uh, providers to be successful in that environment, you know, there's, there's a lot of exciting things happening in healthcare, and I think we're in a really good position to be able to go after uh, or go out there and, and find great investments because um, we, we were uh, lucky enough to close our fund uh, very recently. Adam, an absolute pleasure and delight to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for joining us and appreciate your time. Uh, a wonderful conversation and hope to build on this in additions to come. Thanks again. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me on and, and thanks for the time. Thank you for listening to the BIOS podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review on your favorite podcasting platform. For more content, please visit bios.community or alix.vc.